his work as he grows as a young man who's decided to preach the gospel and uh, devote his life to that cause. So uh, be praying about that and thinking about that uh, as the summer approaches. We'll be looking forward to Brent coming here. The other thing I wanted to remind you of is that uh, this congregation for 15 years now has had in the spring a Bible workshop weekend where we invite young people from all over the state and all over the area to come and to have a special focused weekend of study. And that's coming up next month. It's about six weeks uh, on March 13th and 14th. Now also the Sunday morning after that, we usually try to invite the man who is coming to lead that workshop to stay over and to preach for us in this time and our regular assembly time. And uh, this year we're having Brother Phil Robertson from Gainesville, Florida, and uh, he is coming to lead the workshop, and he's also going to stay over and preach in that time. So I just want to put that in your minds and on your calendars, uh, March 13th, 14th, and 15th, always on the 13th, that Friday night, we have a singing where everyone is invited, and then on the 14th, we'll have the workshop for our young people, and then on the 15th on Sunday, uh, Brother Phil will be preaching, and I will be listening instead of preaching. So looking forward to that. Be thinking about that. James chapter 3 is where I want to begin. James 3 and verse 7. James 3 and verse 7, James says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James addresses the problem of the tongue, and really, as he speaks about the tongue, he's not just concerned about corrupt words or perverse words. He's concerned about tearing down, cursing, using our tongues to do evil instead of good. And particularly, if you look at verse 9, in verse 9 he says this, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So he says it's particularly incongruous to use our tongue to speak good of God and to use our tongue to then tear down people who are made in God's likeness. I told you last month that our theme for this year is what we're calling house rules. They are principles for Christian homes. As we think about our homes and how we're raising our children, how we're living at home, how we're uh, interacting with our spouse, these are some things that Christians need to reinforce and that need to be taught and practiced in our homes. And as we start this morning, there is a principle that underscores what James is saying as he talks about the tongue. That is a principle that needs to be taught and lived in Christian homes. And we're going to talk about that as the idea of respect, that we respect each other. James says we should respect all people because all people are made in the likeness of God. And so I want us to think about what respect looks like, both what respect comes from, the basis of respect, and also how respect looks when it's lived. I want us to think about those things for a few minutes this morning. My contention this morning is that all people deserve respect. All people. And that as we live at home with one another, that respect is going to show up and be shown by the way we interact at home. And then from that basis, we then show our children and one another what it means to respect all people. 
And so both of those dimensions are in play as we talk this morning. All people deserve respect. So why would that be? Why do all people deserve respect? First, all people deserve respect because they are made in the image of God. That's, why Jesus, that's the way James reasons here. Look in verse 9 again with me. In verse 9 he says, With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I hope you recognize that that goes back to Genesis where God says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. In the likeness of God. That is, the image of God is what makes humans different from all other creation. It's what makes humans different from animals. It is pictured in Genesis as that sense in which people are the culmination of God's creation. So, we are distinct from animals. We have moral consciousness. We have the ability to communicate We have the ability to carefully articulate our thoughts, to reason through a matter. We have the ability to look forward into the future and think about what's going to happen in the future if I do this or if I don't do this. We create. People create things. We build. We work. And in all of these ways, we are different from the animals. And in all of these ways, we are more like God than we are like animals. And so he says they are made after the likeness of God. And James is saying that because people are made in the likeness of God, they deserve respect no matter who they are, no matter what they have done, even no matter how they have talked to us. They still deserve respect. But, you know, animals are not really that way. Scripture does teach us not to be needlessly cruel to animals. But Scripture is not concerned with how we talk to animals, is it? In fact, we're not that concerned about how we talk to animals. Animals are not going to remember for long periods of time the wounds that our words cause them. I'm sure a dog knows when it's being yelled at, but it doesn't know what I mean. You see, this is something that is unique to people. People are concerned about how people will take what we say because people are made in the likeness of God. And so he says that we should show respect to them. So... This idea that all people deserve respect because all people are created in the image and likeness of God needs to be taught in our homes. We need to be teaching that every single human being deserves respect. Can I flesh that out a little bit? We need to be teaching, particularly to our children, that everyone deserves respect even when they are of a different race than we are. In our country, there is a shameful history of white people treating black people as if they are subhuman. Now, of course, that has its roots in slavery, but there is a long history of treating black people in a way that treats them as less than human. And that legacy continues in our country today. If that is going to be unlearned, it will be unlearned in our homes as we teach that all people deserve respect because they are made in God's image. Our nation also carries with it a long history of hatred and rejection of immigrants. That is all the way back to Irish and Italian and Eastern European immigrants, to Mexican and Latin American immigrants, all of them viewed with suspicion and hatred, If that is going to be unlearned, of course Christians should be at the forefront of that. 
And that's going to be unlearned in our homes as we teach that all people deserve respect because they are made in the image of God. Even when they come from different places than we do, when they have different color skin than we do, when they speak a different language than we do, when they eat differently and talk differently, when they do different things, they still deserve respect because they are made in the image of God. And this means that people deserve respect when they have different amounts of money than we do. That is, we don't look down on others who have less than we do. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But we also don't look down on others who have more than us. As if it makes some kind of statement about who they are, all people deserve respect. People deserve respect whether they are attractive or not. People deserve respect when they believe differently than we do. Whether we're talking about political views or religious views or philosophical views, whatever it may be, people still deserve respect. People deserve respect even when their sexual behavior and sexual orientation is different from what I believe it should be. I am not saying that we have to respect people's choices. I do not mean that. I mean that all people deserve to be treated with respect even when they make choices that I believe are wrong. All people deserve respect. I could go on and on with that. I hope you see that there is no end to the idea of what differences do not change the fact that all people deserve respect. But what does respect look like? I mean, if all people deserve respect, what is that going to mean? Well, in James's text, it's about how we talk to people. And almost always, the fundamental ground on which respect rests, the fundamental place in which respect is played out, is about how we speak to each other. And I could give you a long list of this. I'll give you a few things, but I'm sure there is some variation from culture to culture about how respect is communicated. But I'll just say it this way. You know when you're being disrespectful and how you speak to someone. And you know when someone else is being disrespectful to you about how they speak to you. This is just a little list I came up with. When someone speaks to me and I am completely silent and don't respond, it's a sign of disrespect. When someone asks me questions and I give one-word answers, it's a sign of disrespect. There are tones of voice we can talk in where we are condescending. It is a sign of disrespect. When I refuse to make eye contact with you, it's a sign of disrespect. When I snarl or bare my teeth during our conversation, it's a sign of disrespect. In our homes, we need to be teaching that we respect all the people we come across. And it is for this reason and this reason only. They are made in the image of God just like we are. There is no difference in God's eyes between any two people. We are all made in his image. Turn the page back to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James talks about it this way and kind of sheds light on another way that we are tempted to look down on others who are different from us. James 2 and verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you 
and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James says, when we show honor to one group and disrespect to another, he calls it partiality. And he gives an example. The example is of the guy who comes into church dressed to the nines. He looks good. He obviously has money. He may be somebody. And what do we do? We treat him with great respect. Oh, we're so glad you're here. We all come and talk to him. Hey, why don't you come sit over here? In fact, I don't know if you noticed the wording, but it sure sounds to me like we treat the rich man by saying, you come sit here by me, whereas the poor man, you stand over there. I don't want to be that close to you. If you've got to be close to me, it's because you're sitting at my feet. We treat one with kindness and the other with disrespect. He says in verse 4, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We are judging someone strictly on the basis of how they look and how much money they have. And in verse 6 he says, You have dishonored the poor man. Why should someone be treated a certain way merely because they are poor? James says this is wrong. But I want you to see what's happening here. This is another way we communicate respect. We communicate respect by how we treat and address people, how we welcome them or don't welcome them, how we notice them or don't notice them. What we are saying by our behavior is some people matter more than others. And James is saying that is wrong. All people deserve respect, honorable treatment, because all people are made in the image of God. Second, all people deserve respect because they have value independent of how they treat us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. Matthew chapter 5. This is how Jesus teaches us to think about people, that people have value no matter how they act toward us. Let's read together Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 38. Matthew 5 and verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus is teaching us here to treat people in a certain way, no matter how they treat us. Treat them with kindness, particularly when they don't deserve it. So if he slaps you on the one cheek, turn the other to him. If he takes your tunic, let him have your coat. Give to the person who begs. If somebody is in need, you just give. Go out of your way to be kind. When they are not kind to you, you be kind to them. Now, all of these people in one way or another, are doing wrong, so to speak. I know asking for money is not wrong, but you get the idea. There's a demand there. But he says you respond to their wrong with kindness. The question is why? Why do we do that? What is Jesus' logic behind this? And he's going to explain that as he keeps going. So let's keep reading with him in verse 43. In verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The underlying reason why Jesus says you respond to hostility with kindness is this. When we do it, we are like God. That's the way God treats all people. Every person matters to God, even the evil. And God knows that even evil people still depend on him for life. And so he sends them rain and sun, whether they're good or evil. He doesn't only do good things for good people and only do bad things to bad people. He is still God and he still takes care of them. They still matter to him. So he says, you be like me. You love your enemies like I love my enemies. You do good to people who do wrong to you like I do good to people who do wrong to me. Look at verse 46 again. In verse 46, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He says, If all you do is show kindness to people who are kind to you, how are you any different from the godless people around you? Gentiles. Tax collectors, evil people, people who have no interest in God whatsoever. Who are we trying to be like? Are we going to try to be more like worldly sinful people or more like God our Father? Which direction are we going? Jesus says it plays out in how you treat people. So, what Jesus is saying is that all people, even our enemies, even those who do us wrong, have value independent of how they treat us. And we reflect our connection to God when we treat other people as if they deserve respect, even when they hurt us. I want to say something here. I want to be very clear about how I'm using this passage and what I believe Jesus is meaning. As I talk about this and as we think about what that means for our homes, I'm not really talking about physical self-defense. I'm not really talking about what happens if somebody breaks into our home or something like that. And I don't think that's Jesus' primary concern here either. I believe what Jesus is referring to when he talks about turning the other cheek, when he talks about going with, one, going with him the second mile, when he talks about if he takes your tunic, let him have your coat. I believe what he's talking about are those everyday situations that all of us are involved in where people do us wrong and we have a choice to make about how we treat them in return. And that choice is not just about us. It's not just about in that moment, do I, I rear back and punch them back? It's also about a choice about how bitter I'm going to allow myself to be. And it's a choice about how I'm going to talk about that person and talk to that person. And it's a choice about when I go home, how much I'm going to rant about it in front of my wife and my children. And who I'm going to get on the phone and complain to about it. And how long I'm going to hold on to it. For how many years? Those are questions that Jesus is really addressing. When he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and don't resist an evil person. So, over the years I have heard a lot of complaining about how hard Jesus' teaching is in these verses. And I am insisting that this is what needs to be taught in our homes. Our kids need to see us as parents reacting to people who hurt us the way Jesus teaches us to. They need to see that I am willing to not resist an evil person, 
to not allow their evil to consume me and create evil in me. They need to see that I can respond with kindness to my enemies. They need to see that I have the courage to do good to those who don't do good to me. I shudder to think that my children would learn from me not to do what Jesus said. I shudder to think what my children would learn if they learn that every action demands an equal and opposite reaction from me. If I'm going to have a Christian home, at some point I'm actually going to have to follow Jesus. I'm actually going to have to listen to him instead of the world and instead of my instincts. And in this way, I show my children, I show my wife, I show the world that all people deserve respect. And I show it by living like Jesus. So what does that look like? It looks like not resorting to hate. It looks like not allowing other people's harm to affect and pollute me and my way of thinking and talking and treating others. It means not speaking about people dishonorably and not speaking to them dishonorably. It means they still have value. I am going to be kind to them whether they deserve it or not. Because all people deserve respect even when they don't deserve it. I know that sounds strange. But they deserve respect because of what God says, even when they don't deserve it because of their own behavior. The third thing I want us to see here is that all people deserve respect because they have roles of authority that affect us. Our homes also need to be places where our children learn about the proper response to authority. What it is to be under authority. To be under the people God says we are under. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. In every area of life, there are people who are in charge. And part of being a Christian is understanding how to properly view that authority. Even when the people who are in charge may not be the best people or worthy of respect because of their own behavior, we can still learn to respect those who have authority over us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This text shows us that Christians are to be a respectful people. That is, there are a number of times we are told to respect or be subject to or honor someone. So we are to be subject, verse 13, to every level of government. He mentions the emperor and he mentions governors. I think you understand that that's the structure of the world they lived in. We would say it a little broad, more broadly. We would say there, there are federal powers and there are state powers and there are local powers. Be subject to those who are in charge, the government over you. And we do that, Peter says, out of respect for the Lord. For the Lord's sake, he says. Now, Paul fleshes that out by saying the government is part of how God checks evil in our world. 
So if we're, we're on the same team as the government because of that, we want to check evil in our world, and we want to submit to them as they do that. Verse 17 says specifically, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. What does that mean here? What does it mean to show respect in this context? Well, it's pretty obvious that the main way we honor those who are in charge over us is to follow their rules. Now, there were some limits to that in the New Testament era. Specifically, sometimes the emperors would proclaim themselves God and say, bow to me as a God. And Christians in that time would say, no, I have one God, not bowing to you. But short of that, what honor means is giving to the person who is in a position of authority the respect due to them. And I want to say this clearly and specifically. That honor is not based on how honorable the person may be. It is not contingent on the kind of person he is or how well he does his job. Please remember the emperors who were in charge in this era. We're talking about people like Nero. Nero, who was a terrible emperor and particularly hard on Christians, and yet he deserves honor because he is the emperor. Honor the emperor, Peter says. So I think you can see the application, and it applies no matter which party is involved or what person is involved, that there are people who are over us and they deserve respect, even if their behavior is not always respectable. Politicians have long been a laughingstock in our country because they're not always truth-tellers and they're not always moral people. And yet, can't we still respect the fact that God has given them a position of charge over us and over our nation? Home is where we learn about respect. In everyday situations, what does it mean to respect? And we need to be teaching our children that that all of us have all of these different relationships in, in which we have to submit. We submit to our government. And we submit to our elders in a local church. And we submit to our employers. And we submit to our spouses. This is just who we are. This is just what it means to live respectfully as a Christian. And we need to be teaching those things at home by showing respect in all of those different arenas in our homes. Look a little further with me. 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So wives show subjection and respect, even when, in this situation, the, the husband is not a believer. He doesn't obey the word, and yet he is won over by the fact that his wife is respectful in spite of that. Down in verse 5, he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So this is how Sarah showed respect, he says, by obeying Abraham and even honoring him to the degree that she called him Lord. I'm not saying all wives have to do that. I'm saying Peter signals that out. This is a sign of how much respect she had, deference she had for her husband. 
But lest you begin to think, oh, well, this is all about the man being in charge. Notice verse 7 with me. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands are to show honor, which is a synonym for respect. What we've been talking about the whole time. Husbands respect their wives. Wives respect their husbands. So what does respect look like in those roles? Well, like anything, it's, it's reflected in how we talk to and talk about each other. It's about how we show kindness when the other one doesn't deserve it. It's about submission and obedience. It's about treating one another well. It's about an attitude that takes the other person into account because when we are married, no longer do we make decisions that are just affecting us, but we affect one another. We show honor, we show respect to one another by always considering that. I especially want to emphasize, if all people deserve respect, that is especially true at home. In our homes is where we learn to practice and show respect to one another and to practice and show respect that we will then take out and use in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationship with elders, in our government, in relationship with our fellow man. So we teach that all people deserve respect by showing respect to each other at home. That's where the lesson begins. So let me ask a few questions and we'll be done. Husbands, how are you treating your wife? Are you showing respect in how you talk to and talk about them? Do you show kindness to her at all times? Do you honor her? Do you consider her? Wives, how are you treating your husband? Are you showing kindness and respect in the way you talk to and talk about him? Do you honor him? Do you submit to him? Do you consider him? What's the respect quotient in your marriage? In our homes, do we insult each other? Do we make racial jokes? Do we insult people outside our home? Do we call each other names? Do we act ugly to people who make us angry? Do we try to hurt other people? How much respect is shown in your home? Parents, how do we treat our children? Do we show respect for them? Are we aware of their feelings? Do we try to hear their side of the story? Do we allow them to speak? Do we tailor our discipline to what is best for them? Children, How do we treat our parents? Do we have any appreciation for the difficulty of the task of parenting? Do we have respect for the fact that our parents care for us and take care of us? That they make wise decisions for us? What's the respect level in your home? And as we begin to think about, well, when we talk, how do we talk about the government? How do we talk about the elders? How do we talk about our boss? 
How do we show what it means to be respectful when people do wrong to us? Just what are we teaching? And what are our children learning? So we respect each other because all people deserve respect. My question to you is, what does your home say about respect? Might be someone here this morning who needs to obey the gospel. We haven't spoken this morning about the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, and that we have hope of freedom from our sin and the consequences of our sin because of his great gift. That's the reason we're here. That's the reason we're trying to raise our children and live in marriages that reflect what God has done for us in Jesus. And if you are ready to turn away from your sins and to come and be a disciple of Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away, we'd love nothing more than to help you do that. Come right now as we stand and sing.